There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us, graciously, Nick Solacek here with us today. Nick, how are you there, brother? I'm doing great, Amri. It's good to see you. Great to be here. Oh, man, it's so nice to tune in all the way from Australia to Canada. We are totally trans-international doing this today. For those tuning in to Nick for the first time, let me quickly do the honors. He empowers people to thrive in their relationships as a relationship coach. But beyond that, it's also that they can really live a life that they love, um, which for a lot of you that'll sound familiar, it is the tagline of the Inspired Evolution in many ways as well. So one of the things in there is Amargo therapy that he really has dialed into. There's a lot of ground we can cover, and I really have enjoyed watching um, some of the pieces where you do Q&As, Nick, because um, there's a lot of ground you cover, and it's almost like there's no space in relationship coaching that you're not really willing to go, which... Personally, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. I um, I coach on a lot of things, but I try to steer away from relationship coaching, predominantly because I find coaching one person's life can be quite involved, and then coaching another person's life can be quite involved. But the way I see it these days is like the relationship is almost like a third entity, and it's so dynamic, and there's so much going on in there. <laughs> it's like, well, it's not as hard enough coaching one person. It's in some ways, yeah, it's there's. A person is complex enough, let alone the, the complex dynamic of another person. And then the dynamic of the two of them put together can be such a such a thing. Maybe you can speak to some of that. Um, but the first question starts with, how did you become a relationship coach? How did you know that this is what you were going to do, bro? Well, that's a great question. I think I struggled for many years with my purpose. When I was 20, 21 years old, I thought maybe I'd be a dating coach and I'd be mm. one of these guys with a perfect haircut and a black dress shirt teaching men how to meet women. And, um, you know, at the Go time ahead. I thought that maybe I had something to offer in that realm. And that mm. never really manifested in its own way. Uh, eventually, after years of trying different things, I came back around to working with people and wanting to coach and wanting to be a guide, wanting to be a mentor. So I decided to do that and quit my job and jumped into it full time. There's, there's a bigger story there and many other details in terms of how it came to be, but um, you meet the right people at the right time. When you're ready, the teacher arrives. That happened for me in several different in instances. I've had a uh, you know supernatural aid come into my life often. Uh, mm. to guide me. And there's a couple of key, key players there. 
One of them is uh, Mark Groves from Create the Love, who's been very supportive of me and uh, been a great mentor. And uh, he was one of these people that pushed me to, to, to step more into my purpose and to go after what I want and, and to get up every day and do something that I care about. And he is actually the first one that brought Imago Relationship Coaching to my attention. It's actually a, mm. Imago Relationship Therapy, but I'm certified as an Imago Relationship Coach. So I might use those terms interchangeably. Yep, yep. Um, you know, in terms of me personally, I think I grew up with a lot of questions as a teenager, looking at my parents' relationship, looking at pop culture, looking at relationships in my family system and asking questions mm. like, if people are so unhappy in marriage, why do they do it? You know, if people uh, don't know how to work on things, why do they stay together? Um, mm. Are having kids a good idea? Is it a good idea to get married? Uh, you know, sort of asking some questions like that. And uh, over the years, I've gotten some answers, but it's really in the Imago relationship therapy training and this theory that the deeper mm. understandings and insights have began to create shifts for me because I've been the person that has struggled. I have been the person that doesn't know how to work through stuff <laughs> in my relationship. You know, I, I have been the person that was unhappy with aspects of my life and projected that onto my partner. So, you know, my thinking would have been, well, you know, maybe it's them that needs to change. Maybe if I trade my partner out for someone else, then I will be happy. Right? Mm. But really it was actually aspects of my life, my purpose, my relationship to self, my uh, authentic expression in the world that is actually affecting my experience of my life. But it's so easy to put that onto the person that's closest to you and project that maybe they're the issue and they're the problem mm. instead of taking full responsibility for the fact that we create and co-create, you know, our, our reality. And we just get back the thing that we're things that we're focused on. Mm. So I don't want to go into you know, too much of a tangent there, but um, there's certainly some mm. personal experiences that I've, I've had that have impacted me that have drawn me into this work. And just mm -hmm. to touch on something you said, Emery, which is that, you know, you support people with purpose and tapping into their passion and doing something they love, contributing to uh, their society or their community in a certain way. I know lots of therapists and lots of amazing coaches like you who don't touch relationships, don't get into couples work and have no interest in doing that. And that's OK, right, mm -hmm. because we've all got our own gifts. But I'm just a special kind of uh, quirky dude who wants to <laughs> specifically work with couples and, and make a difference. I can relate to that in some way. Um, so, uh, like some of my clients, well, many of my clients come to me when they're at that career existential crisis point and uh, they're sitting there and we're having a discovery call and we're chatting and I'm smiling and they're like, dude, I'm complaining to you and I'm smiling. <laughs> and they're like, is everything okay? Like, are you actually listening to me? And I'm like, oh no, sorry. I'm just, I know you're going through a breakdown and you're about to break through and I've seen this so many times and I'm really excited for you, but I know you're going through a world of pain. Sorry for the inappropriate face gestures. Um, <laughs> you know, so sometimes we're just the right kind of kooky for the right kind of work that we're required to be here to do. Um, there's a lot in there. Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the key things that um, has been brought to my awareness recently, uh, one of the things that I'm certified in is this thing called the Gene Keys. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, um, but it's an awesome little model, a bit like human design, and it helps you in some ways find your purpose in life, um, but it's based loosely on astrology, um, but also has a, has a bit of a, a journey through your relationships as well. And you have these different codes like gene key codes for uh, each of the different spheres of your life I'm trying to keep it succinct here um and in fact the starting place for our relationships in the gene keys profoundly enough is actually purpose which i found really interesting because you go on your life's path journey and the last thing you come home to is your purpose but when you start your relationship in the gene keys you actually start with your purpose and I think it was a beautiful sort of contemplation for me to just reflect upon just the wisdom in that and just how much our relationships really are here to teach us. When you look at life as an opportunity for us to learn, to grow, um, that really, you know, your relationships are an amazing mirror for us to really, you know, reflect back. Because I see like like the standard mirror, like the shiny ones that we all see in the morning in the bathroom, whatever, reflecting our physical back to us. But it's almost like I look at relationships now as, you know, mirroring your soul, mirroring your emotions back at you, you know? Um, yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot, if you're willing to look at it, um, to uncover there. So the key question, you asked some really amazing questions in there as well. And I wanted to go into some of those, but I guess the place to start is maybe, can you introduce us to Imago? It gives a little bit of insight of what is Imago coaching 
Margaret therapy, sorry, and yourself as Margaret coach. Yeah. Well, it t- touches actually a little bit on purpose. So because the Imago theory is so deep and rich, we won't be able to touch every single aspect of it. But I'm going to do my best here to give people um, a starting point. And the first thing I can touch on is that Imago is actually Latin for image. And what that image is in this context of relationship is a silhouette, an image of your primary caretakers, their strengths and weaknesses, their positive and negative traits as you experience them as a child. And this Imago template, this silhouette, this image has a really big impact on our relationships, how we show up, has a big impact on the partners that we attract, because everyone has a tendency to be attracted to people that match this image. So if you grow up with an image that isn't so pretty, you grew up with an image that has some negative or abusive or toxic dynamics going on, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, or caretakers who are emotionally distant or emotionally immature. Whatever is in that image, you will be drawn towards it. You are drawn towards the familiar energy signature from your family system. That's why I say for better or worse. Now, mm. once you realize that this is happening as a growth opportunity for a few different reasons, it starts to become something that's more empowering rather than disempowering. And a lot of people come to my office saying, Nick, why am I attracting the same partners? You know, there's a, it's almost an Instagram meme now of the woman who comes in and complains about the avoidant man, right? And this is something we see a lot of coaches talking about, the anxious partner attracting the uh, avoidant one. Uh, and there's other dynamics involved here. But, you know, the point is, is that the Imago philosophy points us towards the fact that conflict is a growth opportunity. We attract a partner who maybe disturbs us in a certain way or creates anxiety for us in a certain way as an opportunity mm. for us to grow and heal. And it doesn't occur that way on its face because we're, we're, we're anxious, we're stressed out. There's something about our partner that bothers us. We mm. object, we object to their difference in a way. You know, it's like if they're different than us, they have a different perspective, a different way of handling mm. money, their health, family, they have different ideas about sex. It can create anxiety for us. And what do we do when we feel anxious? We often use negativity to not feel the way that we're feeling. So we might try to get our partner to not be the way that they are, try to get them to be different so we don't have to feel anxious. And that sets us up. It creates a lot of trouble because people feel misheard, unseen, invalidated. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of hurt that's uh, created in that kind of dynamic. Do we need a disclaimer at this juncture to, because I'm sure that there, at the moment we're espousing, or, you know, we run the risk of espousing the fact that whatever relationship you're in is the one that you're meant to be working on because it's revealing something to you. And surely I agree with you as well, but there are surely some relationships where it's not the most functional to be in them. Well, for sure. There are, there are relationships. People might be listening to this and there's a relationship that they're in that maybe they shouldn't be in. Mm. I'm not here to tell people that they have to make the relationship work. These growth Mm -hmm. opportunities, sometimes the growth opportunity is to stand up for yourself and leave the relationship. Mm. Sometimes the growth opportunity is to say, I deserve better than this. Mm. For the most part, people Mm -hmm. are in in situations where it's, you know, it's not at the extremes, right? It's it's not, you know, um, so that's an important That's uh, that's about 90% of, yeah, I just wanted to sort of tuck that disclaimer in there. Um, So one of the key things in there with the Imago, which I think is one of the questions I was like really excited to ask you today, the the image that we carry about, like, let's just say parents and, you know, you said primary caregivers, but your parents that you're carrying around the template that you have, do you find, as you said, we sort of end up attracting the same sort of image into our life again. Um, Are there is it always towards, or do some people act out completely in repulsion to that? Like, is it, you know, do you always do exactly what the image presents or is there cases where you do exactly the opposite? Like, um, I'll give you an easy example. Um, you know, I grew up and uh, I got whacked a lot, man. <laughs> I got whacked a lot. And yeah, I'll, I'll probably say I deserved <laughs> maybe you mean like spanked? It. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, whacked, not spanked, whacked. <laughs> it's way more yeah, intense. Okay. But anyway, um, and I find like, you know, we've we've grown up with parenting and we've got this attitude now. It's like, oh, we're going to try our best, touch wood, to not, because that happened to both me and my wife. And we're like, you know what, we're not going to do that to our kids. And I think it's a generational shift that's happening as well. Um, you know, people are just not doing that. And I'm now seeing us act in 
I don't want to say repulsion, but act in the opposite to what we were raised as um, in our parenting style. Now, is that something that you see often or is it even when you're trying to, I wonder what Margot has to sort of say about it, even when you're trying to avoid something, you're actually attracting it in because I've noticed that in other areas of my life as well. It's like you're trying to actually run away from something and then it's like, oh, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that and you end up just doing it in a very different, weird, twisted way anyway. Do you get the nature of my question? I do get the nature of your question. And I think there's a really important point here about opposites. So mm. while opposites attract, and there is a lot of paradox inside a romantic relationship, something you're pointing to, Emreet, is actually about evolution. So it's actually about evolution instead of doing the exact opposite. So when we say, you know what, we're not going to do that. This is not helpful. There's no scientific evidence that proves hitting a child makes them smarter. Uh, we are going to evolve beyond that dynamic. We're going to do something a new way. It's not really, you know, I don't see it as opposite with respect to attraction though. You know, if we see something in our family system, we don't like, I get what you mean that we might be compelled to run the other way uh, mm. or to choose something different. What tends to happen is actually, for example, the avoidant type of person, mm. they grow up with a parent who's controlling, smothering, dominating. So they, they actually can have a tendency to run away from a relationship and they mm. might become the opposite of their caretaker in terms of their development. So just mm. to put it this way, there's two terms in Imago, minimizing and maximizing. Mm -hmm. The maximizer, character, their, their character is this kind of person who draws attention towards issues. They exaggerate their emotions. They want to take responsibility for the relationship. They might get loud. Um, they might... Uh, you know, get offensive in certain ways. They might use passive aggressiveness or a manipulation to try to control the situation, to ease their anxiety. That kind of parent, that maximizer, they make minimizing children. And they make minimizing children through the development over time because the child feels controlled, smothered, dominated, and the child needs to adapt to keep certain parts of themselves alive we all have biological imperatives. So this is this shapes um, family systems. This shapes generations, obviously, mm -hmm. because maximizer makes a minimizer, minimizer makes a maximizer. <laughs> now, it doesn't, doesn't always play out that way. Some of us want mm -hmm. to evolve out of these patterns, and we want to say, no, I'm done with that. I'm doing things a different way, and it doesn't mean doing the opposite. It means actually coming more into a centered, grounded, secure place, and that might be more present more emotionally available. It might mean taking more responsibility for my reality or self-soothing or self-regulating. Um, so, you know, there's a couple key nuances here. And in some, some cases, people do choose the opposite of their mm. parents in some way. But the way that they do that is typically visually. So, you know, for example, if you have um, parents who are really tall and you have a negative experience of them, maybe you go get, I'm going to get someone short, petite, or mm. uh, I'm going to get someone who's just not like that because I don't want, mm. but what, you, what you're drawn to often is um, you can go to a physical opposite, but then you notice parts of their character actually that are very similar. You notice parts mm. of who they are that mirrors or resonates or represents part of your past. Thank you so much for articulating that, bro. That minimizes and maximizes is very, very interesting. I um, I remember there were certain parts of my parents' relationship that I didn't necessarily want to model. Um, and, yeah, like sometimes when they would argue, they would argue like a lot, yeah. And I think that's, you know, people that have been married for like 40-plus years that, you know, you have arguments. Um, and so, but like I remember just going, oh, when I find someone, I want someone that I don't want to, that, like, that we're not going to argue. <laughs> you know, like literally the minimizer um, out of that. And then I remember when I met my now wife, you know, we, we, I tried to just, I was super avoidant and just was like running away from every argument. So no, no, it's an argument. No, when, no, I don't argue. Like, you know, you're, you win or like, I'm right. And I'm not having this chat. And it took, and it took her like a serious amount of patience for like three, four years to go, Hey, like it's okay to healthy argue things and points out. Like you can have discussions and it was like, and it was actually very refreshing to come back, like you said, to a happy medium balance, right. To not be sort of repressing or like overly expressing to find like a medium, medium ground in that space. One of, one of the things that exists in culture is this idea that if you've been together for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you bicker like an old couple, right? Everyone's heard that <laughs> phrase like, oh, you guys, you, you know, you bicker, 
you guys bicker <laughs> like you've been together 50 years. Yeah. And it's a commentary on what we expect and what we think long-term relationships are like. That we mm. basically have this idea that, you know, you've been together long enough. You just put up with each other's bullshit and maybe you bicker about it or you argue, but things don't change. That's just the way that it is. And personally, I think that that's total bullshit. I think that the examples mm. that we've got in society are not that great. I think that most of our parents never took a course on relationships, never read a book, never did an hour of couples therapy. And so we just mm -hmm. don't have great role models to show us that, hey, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years down the line, if you value that and you want to be in a relationship, it can work and it can be successful. Not all relationships are meant to span our lifetime. Maybe they're meant to teach us something specific or help us grow in a certain way, teach us a key lesson. But we actually can be more attuned. We can be more respectful. We can learn how to listen. We can co-create something that's overwhelmingly positive instead of overwhelmingly negative. And um, I really want to just, you know, put that in here for anybody that's listening, because yeah. it's yeah. so, so it happens so fast. These little cultural narratives and quotes and cliches that we've got about what a relationship is going to be like in the future. And it's one of the reasons that people don't want to get in them because they fear mm. being trapped. They fear being in something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I find it really interesting as well, because even in that space, like I hear what you're saying is we don't have the archetypes for us to sort of model and fall into um, that are supporting like our highest expression in relationships. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's another question that I was hoping to ask further down the line, but let's ask it here because we're talking a little bit about culture as well. Um, do you find culturally that we're – how do I articulate this question – um, yeah, that relationships are under a lot more pressure than they've ever been before, um, in today's day and age. And that could be from so many different angles, like, and let's start with a couple of really easy ones. First of all, cost of living, um, you know, like, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but here in Australia, like, you know, only a generation ago, one person could work from home. Uh, sorry, one person could work and one person would be at home. These days, it seems like both parenting parties need to be working as well as parenting. And that's a lot of, you know, and I'm talking about a parenting dynamic here and there's a lot of like coordination, teamwork, you know, external stresses from job pressures from both sides that goes into that, you know. Um, but then even just, you know, touch wood, which is a blessing, like aged care, uh, sorry, like uh, healthcare, people are like aging and like living longer and longer and longer and longer and longer, which is an absolute blessing. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But then you sometimes think about, you know, it wasn't that long ago people only made it to about 40 and they had one partner, you know, and then you start looking at the life of like, okay, I'm living 80, 85 years. Um, like culturally, you're in that relationship for twice as long, sometimes three times longer um, that you would have been before. Um, I appreciate your point about the archetypes and sort of, you know, having something to model back into your life. Um, but do you think relationships are under more pressure now than they've ever been before? Or is that just, I'm in it <laughs> and you're in it and we just see it that way? Yeah. Relationships are, relationships are absolutely under more pressure than they ever have been. And mm. maybe that's a perspective of our time. Maybe, you know, that's something that everybody our age has always believed, that things are getting yeah. more complicated. Things were better 20, 30, 40 years ago. It was easier then. Those were simpler times. Uh, I do believe that there are a number of factors that complicate being in a romantic partnership in a world that maybe is uh, unequal or out of alignment mm -hmm. or, you know, the system is under pressure. Culturally, we're mm -hmm. under pressure. So naturally, we are under pressure. Our relationships are as well. Um, there's so many pieces there that you spoke about. One is the fact that, you know, we're living longer and we've got mm -hmm. these longer lifespans. Now, does that mean that our relationships aren't meant to last or that, uh, you know, it puts a bigger expectation on us? Yeah, it does. I would argue whether we're together for five years or for 50, we are going to come up against stuff in our relationship. Intimacy is a trauma trigger. It's going to bring up our shit. And if we want to have a successful relationship for five years or for 50, the principles actually are the same. Relationships need a purpose. We need a purpose. Mm -hmm. We come into our relationships with a covert expectation, with a projection about what the purpose is going to be. And that is mm. that you're going to meet all my needs. You are going to do everything that I want. You are going to love me the way that I want you to love me. And we sign up for this covertly, unexpectedly, when we get into partnership with someone else and both people do it. 
And yeah. that in itself creates a, you know, a lot of challenges. But for a relationship to go the distance, no matter the, the time frame, if it's going to be quality, you got to have a purpose. You have to have a vision. And the longer lifespans, the pressures in our economy, the unique things that are going on in, in today's world, no matter where you live, there's unique dynamics going on, really requires us to evolve. It requires us to learn new skill sets, new ways of being. And if you don't learn the key fundamentals of romantic relationship, if you don't learn how to repair with your partner and you don't learn how to build a vision, you don't learn how to eliminate negativity, it's going to be very difficult for your relationship to feel good for a long period of time. Mm. Two threads came out there. Relationships requiring a purpose is a very, very, very profound nugget. Um, and what we sign up for initially, like you said, is to almost fill each other's voids. And, you know, over time, you know, that I can already see can lead to a very interesting dynamic. Um, but one of the key things in there is intimacy is a trauma trigger. Can you speak to that a little bit more? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Well, couples think that they have communication issues. Couples think mm -hmm. that, oh, you know, we see things a different way. You you deal with stuff this way. I deal with this this way. I get anxious. You get avoided. I get loud. You get quiet. And you hear it, you know, oh, communication challenges. We've got communication problems. Couples don't have communication problems. They have childhood trauma problems. They have issues from the past that are unresolved and incomplete and don't realize mm -hmm. that part of their motivation to be in relationship in general is that they're bringing a need with them. Everyone brings mm -hmm. a need from childhood into their adult relationships. They bring an unmet need into their adult relationship. And this is part of the reason that conflict is a growth opportunity. Our communication styles clash, as we like to say. But where do those communication styles come from? They developed in our family system. They didn't develop in a moment. They developed over years, over time. And when we wake up in the morning and we say, this is who I am, this is just the way that it is, you actually have been programmed. You've been, you have evolved in an environment that required you to adapt to what was going on. And that becomes mm -hmm. who you are. It becomes how you see yourself. And you pair up with another person and those things clash. So that's why I say it's, it's childhood trauma clashing. It's the pain of the past mm -hmm. that's clashing. You know, the anxious person and the avoidant person, they both have fears. They both have anxieties. They both have things that they're afraid that could manifest in their relationship. And they adapt to that fear to try to make sure it doesn't come true. So the person who's afraid of being abandoned, neglected, or having their partner leave them for someone else, they can get clingy, they can get needy, they can chase their partner's energy, or they can even get manipulative to try to get them to hang around. Right? The person who is uh, you know, afraid of being smothered or dominated or controlled in the relationship, the person who uh, you know, fears not being able to be themselves, they tend to isolate and withdraw. They tend to withhold their feelings. They tend to detach and um, maybe get a little bit of distance on their, from their partner, whether it's physically mm -hmm. or emotionally. And they're trying, to, they're trying to have something survive as well, which is actually the relationship. Because if it, you know, I need to be safe. I need to get safety for myself, and it's safer at a distance. If I bring mm -hmm. myself authentically to the situation, I worry mm -hmm. that maybe part of my fears might manifest, you know. So this is the reason why I say it's our childhood stuff that's clashing. And that's when we come back full circle to this idea in Imago that conflict is a growth opportunity. You know, this mm -hmm. struggle in relationship is a push towards reclaiming parts of ourselves that we lost somewhere along the way. Parts of ourselves that were underdeveloped or undernurtured, you know, or not welcome in the household. So how do we go about addressing conflicts in our relationship then? Um, I'm sure communication is probably a key tool in there, um, but even deeper than that, like, you know, how do you, like, how do you set up a frame? How do we actually go into having the conversations that we need to have? Can you provide some practical insight for us on how to navigate um, that for myself and the, the audience tuning in? Yeah, there's a couple of key tools. One of the core concepts that anyone who's in a relationship needs to understand at the core of the issue is actually a loss of empathy. And in this case, I mean, being able to sense what another person is feeling, being mm -hmm. able to sense what another person is experiencing and actually embodying the presence and curiosity, the interest to even you know, do that, to empathize with another person. 
Um, and the loss of empathy occurs in an interesting way. So let me give you an example that uh, kind of conveys this uh, for most people. If you go on a tropical vacation or you mm -hmm. live in a sunny, sunny climate like you do, and you're at the beach going for a walk, and it's a fantastic day. Maybe you're listening to your favorite podcast, Inspired Evolution, and uh, the weather's <laughs> perfect, and you're taking some steps through the sand, and you step on a piece of glass or sharp shell, and in that mm. moment, whew, all of your attention's gone to your foot. You're having the experience mm. of pain. You're thinking, oh my gosh, am I okay? Am I cut? Am I bleeding? Is there more, are there more jagged objects I need to be careful mm. to protect myself or people that I'm with? And in that moment, we get defensive, and mm -hmm. we get focused on ourselves, and we become self-absorbed, which means we are not thinking about anyone else or anything else. We are right there inside of that moment with our pain. And this happens emotionally. This happens emotionally in our relationship. We experience pain or hurt in some way, which doesn't. it's not always jagged and sharp. Sometimes it's numb, subtle. Uh, we experience pain, stress. We become defensive because we want to protect ourselves from particular outcome and we become self-absorbed, right? It's mm -hmm. focused on ourselves, not the other. And when we, when that happens and it happens so fast, we lose empathy. We lose the ability to be with the other person, to be with our partner, to sense what they're feeling, experience what they're experiencing. And mm -hmm. that's at the core of a lot of the challenges that couples experience. And so to cut through that, we need to restore empathy. We need to restore connection. And one of the key ways that I teach this is through the Imago Dialogue. Mm -hmm. And that's really a structure with two roles. And it's kind of revolutionary. One person talks, <laughs> one person listens. And, and, and if we did more of that, if we did more mm. of that, we really would be more attuned, more connected. We'd spend more time in connection. We'd feel more understanding about where our partner's at. Um, when I teach this, you know, couples could sometimes feel like uh, it's a little slow or it's a little uncomfortable. People say to me, Nick, you know, we're, we're really emotionally intelligent. We get it. We know the basics. I mean, we've taken communication trainings and, uh, you know, we're looking for the advanced stuff. Mm. And uh, what people are missing is actually this is the advanced stuff. And if you're mm. having trouble in your relationship, it's because you don't know how to dialogue. If you're listening to this and you want to be in conscious relationship, you want to be in connected adult love, you need mm. to learn how to dialogue. You need to learn how to have a safe conversation with your partner in a way that mm -hmm. increases the listening, increases the empathy, increases the connection between the two of you. So you don't have repetitive arguments, fighting about the same thing, or most couples now, they actually don't fight. A lot of the couples that come to my office are really emotionally intelligent and they know, okay, we know we can't fight. We know we shouldn't yell at each other. We know, you know not to hit each other or call each other names. We get it. Mm. But there's more subtle nuances going on, and there's sensation in the body and other triggers and reactivity that are still driving the conflict and the stress and anxiety. Uh, and it all boils down to the same thing. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about the things that we're afraid of, because if we don't, mm. they go unexamined, unresolved, and they just kind of lurk in the background waiting to, you know, come out in some moment. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think dialoguing our fears, um, I can really hear the, the echoing sentiment being safety, providing safety for each other in the relationship and allowing, you know, our vulnerabilities to surface, which, you know, when we can see those, we definitely feel a sense of safety. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
can we go deeper potentially into the mechanics of what a constructive dialogue looks like? Like you said, listen and talk, but I'm conscious that those that are tuning in potentially would just feel like, oh yeah, we we do it, we talk, <laughs> you know. And I've followed your work there a little bit, and you know, finding that in there is like actually there's a proper sort of hey, like you know, can you just just describe the uh, the mechanics of the Imago dialogue a little bit deeper, please? So there's three core things that happen in the dialogue, which is mirroring, validating, and empathizing. And mirroring is a really powerful uh, process and skill because what it does is it takes something that somebody says and it gives the two people in this conversation a chance to make sure they're getting each other. So if one partner says to the other, I'm upset that you didn't do the dishes today. The partner doesn't say, well, you know what? I did the dishes for the last two weeks in a row. So you know what? I don't want to hear a complaint about it. That's not mirroring. That's defensiveness. That's dismissiveness. Mm -hmm. That's invalidation. So when a partner has a complaint, they have a worry, they have a concern, they have something important that they want to talk about. The dialogue teaches mirroring, which is that one partner talks and the other person reflects back what they heard. And they say, okay, you know, if I heard you correctly, this is what I got. And then the other partner confirms that. And then the partner might ask, is there more about that? They might demonstrate curiosity. They might say, uh, you know, tell me more. And this opens up an opportunity for the other partner to share. But the point is, is that every step of the way through the conversation, there is a sense of being gotten and a, a checking mm -hmm. that, that, you know, you're getting each other. And I'll just pause here for a moment just to say that being gotten and having experience of feeling gotten is at the fundamental level of developing secure attachment. It's one of the main things that helps people develop secure attachment. So if you resonate as being avoidant, anxious, disorganized, you feel like you have insecurities or an insecure attachment style, this practice, this tool, which I teach in, in my new course, can really help create secure attachment and slow things right down and basically help you learn the, the safe conversation format so that, and this is for me and my partner now, we practice this so much, we don't always need to pull out a worksheet or go exactly to the format because we are embodying the things that that structure teaches. So mm -hmm. we're bringing the focus, we're bringing the presence, we're bringing the curiosity. And that makes a big difference. And this is huge because so many conversations that couples can have with each other are unequal. And what I mean by that is we have a tendency sometimes to launch into monologue, to tell our partner about our worldview for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes and let them yeah. know how we're right and how we, you know, how, how, how much sense we make and how much they need to understand <laughs> that. And when we do that, we, we arouse our partner. We arouse our mm. partner's anxiety. We arouse them in a way that nobody wants to be aroused. And we create a hierarchy in our relationship by essentially talking at and talking down to our partner. And this is unhelpful and it doesn't work. So the dialogue takes that out entirely. It removes the possibility to criticize. It removes the possibility for one partner to invalidate the other. And it essentially you know, creates connection. So we get this mirroring. I just want to jump in there. Uh, one of the mantras that's been present for me, and you know, maybe you can reflect on that. I know we're up to mirroring, and there's two more to go. <laughs> we're just interjecting in there for a polite moment. Um, this little mantra that's dropped in for me, which is, "I can choose to be right, or I can choose to be love." <laughs> you know, it's been like really profound um, for the last good few months. It's like you can choose to be right and push your point, or you can choose to be love and empathize and see that truth has many aspects to it, you know, and yeah, so it's, um, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to pepper that in there because it sounded very um, in line with what you were sharing. Mm. It's very in line, you know, you make sense and your partner's way makes sense too, you know, mm. this is the really key thing to get, but we object to difference, as I said earlier, we object to difference, difference, our brain codes, difference is danger, it causes anxiety for us. And we don't want to feel anxious. So, you know, we often want to try to get our partner to change. Mm -hmm. And the, the dialogue process helps this along because mm -hmm. one thing that it does is it validates, it encourages and, and promotes validation between partners. And one of the key prompts there is I'll ask one partner to say to the other, 
you make sense because. So I'll say, hey, you know, Joe, tell your partner why they make sense. Just use every cell in your body to try to make sense of what they're saying to you, even though they had a complaint, even though they feel hurt, even though you might feel like you did something wrong. Try to, you know, stretch here and try to validate your partner and let them know they're not crazy. They make sense, even though you don't mm. fully agree, even though you don't see things fully the way that they see it. Demonstrate that you understand, you know, that they mm. make sense to you. And we all want to make sense. We want our partner to understand why we are the way that we are. And mm. it's difficult to do sometimes if we don't understand that ourselves, if we've gone, lived our lives relatively unexamined or aren't clear about how our childhood is still rearing its head in our adult relationships or impacting us in a certain way. Um, but when couples get this, there's a sense of actually feeling dropped in. There's a kind of like a heartwarming experience that couples have, and there's an ease and a relaxation, which is actually part of secure attachment. That's part of connection, is that we can be with each other's differences. We can sit with our uncomfortable feelings and hold space for one another. Uh, these are all the things that, uh, you know, most couples that come into my office are working on. And I'll just wrap this up just by saying that, you know, the empathizing piece is sensing what your partner is feeling, sensing what's going on in their body, sensing what this is like for them, and also sensing what it was like for them as a child. So when we get that part of the pattern today is connected to the past, we get information that we were missing. And it starts to fill in the gaps a little bit. And that's part of the sense making that couples need to make of each other. So there are, so what I just described are three of the characteristics, three of the main reasons oh, yeah. why dialogue works, yeah. which is mm -hmm. yeah, mirroring, validating, empathizing. There are uh, a number all of them are in there. Yeah, perfect. Cool. Yeah. 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 So yeah. there are a number of tools and techniques for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But that's the, the main tool is Imago Dialogue. And that's really the thing that helps people cut through the power struggle experience that they have, which is really this kind of battle over our differences, you know, because we've, we enter the honeymoon phase, everything's great. We notice the similarities between us and inevitably we start to encounter our partner's differences. The things mm -hmm. that maybe were cute before start to annoy us a little bit and we can get mm -hmm. focused on that and fixated on that. So mm -hmm. when we have a conscious conversation, when we dialogue about these things, we take ownership of what's happening for us, what's coming up for us, and our partner is listening and getting it and being patient and being there. It doesn't always resolve the issues that couples have. It doesn't always immediately fix some of the frustrations, but it creates a foundation to connect and have conversations about anything. So mm -hmm. the couples can move on and use their energy in more productive, empowering ways to make their dreams come true and, and build an ideal relationship vision. Mm. Nick, can I ask you a bit of a personal question? Is there a lot of pressure on you in your own personal relationship, being a relationship coach, to try and, you know, have the idyllic relationship? Like, do you feel that pressure from time to time like with coaching? Well, when I have challenges in my relationship, I sometimes experience it as double shame. So mm. I am, so this is, this is what happens for normal couples without clinical training, which is that mm. they have shame about the experiences, the struggles, the problems that they're going through. And they mm -hmm. say things like, why is this working for us? Mm. Uh, you know, why do we always fight about the same things? You know, if we were meant to be together, this relationship would be easier. If mm. we were really, uh, you know, truly meant to be, we wouldn't have these issues. And that's shame. That's shame about our experience. We feel unworthy and all couples experience that shame about the struggle. So for me, with my clinical training, you know, I think, oh, I ought to know better. I ought to not struggle. You know, I, I ought to not suffer in my relationship and I should have everything worked out. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of my own sort of desire just to not suffer. I'd like to believe mm -hmm. that, you know, we don't need to suffer. Just live a great life. But actually suffering is part of life, you know, suffering mm -hmm. is part of it. And I think that, you know, to an extent, um, I don't believe that we need to walk around being victims. And maybe there are things that happen to us in life that are just not great. And there's no real amazing way to reframe it. You know, uh, maybe some things uh, are happening for our growth and evolution and some things just happen. There's just some nasty stuff in life on this planet that in some ways um, is dominated mm -hmm. by negativity that uh, are difficult to handle. 
But, uh, you know, for me, this is double shame experience, and that requires compassion. So I have to do the work that everyone else is doing. I have to have compassion for myself that, hey, I don't know everything. I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect person. Sometimes I, yeah. I might say the wrong thing or I might not be focused or present. I might be thinking about lunch or thinking about an important meeting I've got. And uh, my partner might be talking about something important and I look down at my phone. Uh, you know, th th these are things that are going to happen. So, you know, there is pressure uh, a little bit, but the pressure that I experience, I kind of take ownership for that, that it'd be something I put on myself. So I try yeah. not to do that by just just being honest about who I am and um, being real about uh, my experience of, of life and relationship. Like just because I teach this stuff doesn't mean that I don't have moments where me and my partner mishear each other or misinterpret mm. each other or misunderstand each other. That happens, but my relationship works and I love it because we're able to repair those moments easily. Mm. We're able to come back to connection. And that's something that all couples need to understand as well, which is that relationships are cycles of connection, disconnection, and repair. And mm -hmm. we really don't feel good. We start thinking about leaving our relationship when we've spent way too much time inside of that disconnected state. Mm. Yeah. I think that's really useful to know that you're going through that, that it is a bit of a cycle, connection, disconnection, repair, and that you'll continuously come like, you know, it's a, yeah, like it's a cycle. And Emery, one thing I'll just say here about you know my personal life or my challenges, I recognize and I'm aware that there are ebbs and flows and there are cycles. And so while me and my partner are in a really, really good place right now, we feel like we're kind of back in a honeymoon. Um, you know, I also know that there's something that's going to come up. There's going to be a power struggle again at some point, you know, as we continue to grow and evolve and we expand our life. Maybe we add a dog or a kid to the picture. Maybe we, uh, you know, add a, a home to the picture and it creates something new for us to, you know, mm. bicker or argue or play on stuff about. Mm. Who knows? Uh, that, that's kind of the paradigm of Imago is that there's always going to be growth opportunities that come up. And that's where, you know, the term AFGO is used. Another fucking growth opportunity. Which is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, is that an imago? <laughs> is that a trademark? <laughs> imago? <laughs> uh, I, I do not. I do not believe it's trademark, but it is a, a, sort of a, a joke. A joke on the inside, and, and I give that to couples as well because it creates levity about this experience. To say, okay, here we go again. You know, it's like DJ Khaled, another one, and uh, we, we continue to have these experiences for our growth and development. I love that, DJ Khaled. Another one. <laughs> uh, actually, while we've um, dropped in deep on your relationship dynamics, thank you so much for going there and being so um, open and vulnerable. Um, a question that's been present for me personally in my life recently is we've got um, an 18-month-old little baby at home, and he's no longer a baby, he's a toddler. He's totally running the whole world. Um, but um, one of the things I've noticed is just through necessity and function, like our relationship has, like our relationship is still touch wood, um, super solid, but there's also this utilitarian aspect of like raising a kid that's sort of coming. It's much more functional. Um, any, I, I guess advice is probably what I'm shooting into, but um, yeah, any pointers on keeping, I guess, just the romance alive when you're now playing this other, like a whole new role has emerged in both of our lives, which is like, oh, I'm a father, oh, I'm a mother. And there's a whole level of responsibility that's quite utilitarian. It's how do I support you to be a mother? How do I support you to be a father? And we're doing that to quite a well degree, but it can be somewhat um, mechanical because the spare time and spaces that you used to have to be infatuated with each other, you're now infatuated with a baby and you're kind of spending that nurturing nurturing a child with responsibility um any advice for people at that particular juncture yeah that? one of the one of the things emory that stands out to me there is that when you take on more responsibility in life what tends mm. to happen is that you also can feel more stress mm. and when we feel more stressed what tends to happen is we start to resort to our unconscious strategies that we developed as a child 
So for mm-hmm. example, that minimizer or maximizer that we talked about, the person, the minimizer is the constriction, the withholding, sort of like the turtle in the shell. And the maximizer mm-hmm. is like the storm cloud. They might exaggerate or expand issues or draw attention to things. Um, when we get stressed, we tend to go into one of our adaptations. We tend to maximize or minimize. And so this is what every parent and every person taking on a new project or a new creative endeavor, I would argue maybe having a child is one of the more, you know, challenging creative endeavors out there. Uh, Universally creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that people need to be aware of is when they were going into these patterns, into one of these styles that are kind of at the extreme of communication, mm-hmm. at the extremes of um being they're like opposite sides of a mountain they're base camps that we retreat to to keep ourselves safe Mm. so parents need to become aware of when they're doing that because they're going to do it with each other certainly because of the stress Mm. of the situation but whether you got one kid or ten whether you've got a big corporation that you run or you run a you know you have seven cats in your house you know what i'm just trying to you know whatever situation Mm. you're in the principles of safety and aliveness still apply and there are really two things that couples need, and this is a big part of Harville's message in the Imago Theory, which is that couples need two things for a thriving relationship, which is safety and aliveness. And if we've yeah. got those down and we're focused on those things, we can build resilience as we grow. We can build bigger capacity to deal with more, to mm-hmm. deal with the extra logistics, the responsibility, the, uh, you know, um, different aspects of this. And I think what you are alluding to here a little bit, Emery, is that when you take on more stuff, you're focused on the logistics, making sure things happen here and there, and there's this, this juggling the responsibility of having a dependent, right, a child mm-hmm. that is dependent on its parents, and it requires more from you. And so when, we, when, when we're pushed to our limit or we are stressed a little bit or ta- our system is taxed a little bit, there are other things that can drop offline because we've become focused on other key variables. So we can lose our orientation, our emphasis on developing safety or aliveness. Like, for example, mm. if you've got a lot going on and you want your child to survive, you want to make sure they're provided for, taken care of, all of those things are going to become very important. They're going to become higher on the list. Baby needs to eat. Baby needs to sleep. Baby needs to be changed. You know, the doctor's appointment. So just all of these things become the main focus and priority. And sometimes to the detriment of our own passions, our own purpose, our own quality time, connection with our partner. And I don't fully know the answer to this question because I'm not a parent yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the principles of, of safety and aliveness still apply. So just to, you know, I don't know how much time we're going to have here in this conversation. I could talk for 30 minutes about safety and aliveness, but for yeah, all please. the people listening, <laughs> yeah, for, for everybody listening, I have a free tool. It's completely free. It's a training. You can go onto my Instagram bio link. And uh, there's actually a, a model that I developed in my clinical training called the wheel of relationship. I thought, you know, Harville saying these things are so important. Well, what are they? You know, what is safety really? And Mm -hmm. how could I have more of that? How could I contribute more of that to my dynamic with my partner? Mm -hmm. So just break down the the five pillars quickly here, which are the ability to repair, which I I mentioned, you know, the ability to apologize for, and the ability to forgive, the ability to receive apology and Mm -hmm. the understanding that, Hey, you know, we're not perfect people. We're not always going to get it right. And when we mess up, make a mistake that we can, um, you know, repair that and reconnect. Mm-hmm. We can take responsibility for what we wish we could have done better or what we, you know, we wish we would have done this. And, you know, when I think about it, you really actually deserved this from me. And if I could turn back time, you know, I would, uh, I would do it differently. Do it differently. Uh, mm. Yeah. The, the others are, these are all equal. They're all of significant importance. Attunement is one of them. So attunement being, I get you, you get me. And we make a sincere effort to actually understand each other and be attuned to one another's reality. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean fully agreeing on everything, but it means deep understanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, Truthfulness is important. Telling the truth, being honest, telling the microscopic truth about who you are, which can be hard to do. Uh, Consistency and reliability, showing Mm -hmm. up in a way that, uh, you know, your partner can count on you to a high degree. And um, 
integrity, you know, being a person mm-hmm. that's actions match their words, that they're a person who does what you say you're going to do and that you don't commit to things that you, you can't follow through on. And as a parent, boy, you know, it's a big deal because it's not just the two of you anymore. It's you making, it's, you know, it's you making agreements about the child as well. And uh, yeah. so many, there's an extra party involved. There's so many moments for mm. some of these things to go a little sideways. And I imagine for most parents, um, there's a, you know, a lot of stress around that about, well, you said you were going to do this and I did it yesterday. And okay, well, you know, what's the plan? How are we going to get this done? How are we going to work together? The key thing, Emery, for everyone listening who's a parent or, you know, is, is wanting to build a better relationship with their partner is really learning to turn towards the issues together as a team and to mm-hmm. truly feel a sense of collaboration that we're together in this and we're not going to turn at each other. We're going to turn mm-hmm. towards our problems with a sense of resilience and curiosity. And maybe it's going to require us to get creative and, you know, design something new that we hadn't thought of before. Mm, I love that. I can feel the aliveness in that as well. Um, so those pillars that you shared are both for safety and aliveness? So there's five pillars of safety and yep. there's five pillars of aliveness. So there's Tell actually 10 total. <laughs> yeah. So you will love the first one, which is purpose. We all need a chief aim in life. We need something that we're up yeah. to. That includes mm. us as individuals and it includes the relationship. Mm. Passion. So this includes uh, things like sex blissful orgasms, but passion, you know, in terms of, uh, the part of this reason we get out of bed in the morning, part of this thing that we're connected to that brings us joy, maybe it's a hobby or another creative pursuit or an outlet Mm. positivity, positivity, you know, willingness to, uh, reframe negative events and ability to see things on the brighter side or the lighter side. And uh, the ability to actually communicate positively with our partner as well to express our appreciation. Mm. All right. Passion, purpose, positivity, uh, playfulness is the next mm. one. So, you know, playfulness is a big part of secure attachment. And um, really, it's actually something that people really value in their partner, which could be a sense of humor, uh, an ability to make jokes. But playfulness is also this kind of adaptability and flexibility and being able to roll with the punches a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being able to see inside of the cosmic joke, inside of the paradox of relationship um, and, and, and have a sense of humor about it. The next one is presence, which is really mm-hmm. this fountain of well-being in the here and now that we, mm-hmm. you know, we all want to uh, 24-7 attain, but it's so elusive and mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we lose our consciousness so many times a day. We're distracted, we're busy, and that's a big one as well. And so Mm -hmm. if you get these five down with the pillars of safety, you're really, really going to have a great experience of your relationship. Um, The truth is we've always got a pillar probably that needs some work or there's loss Mm -hmm. of attention or needs a little bit of maintenance. And that's what this tool that I've developed is about. Uh, There's a free version, and this is actually, I expanded it inside of my new course, Romantic Relationship Reset, to go a little Mm -hmm. bit deeper. And uh, there's actually, it's a six-week program, so couples are going to get the fundamentals of eliminating negativity. I teach Mm -hmm. a whole week just on dialogue and and building a relationship vision. Uh, So I'm really excited about that and and looking forward to uh, hearing about people's results. Yeah, I'm going to put a link to the course in the show notes below. Um, and obviously your Instagram as well for people to go away and check out the free tour. I'll put a link to it um, in the show notes below. Nick, last little, oh, second to last, last, second to last. Well, let's see how we go. <laughs> uh, potentially last little question or penultimate question. What does potentially a, you've mentioned um, relationships and purpose, which obviously um, Nick and Amrit show. Yeah. <laughs> um what does a healthy uh, purpose for relationships, uh, for your relationship uh, potentially look like? Um, because some part of, I guess, a lot of what we've talked about here today is your relationships are, you know, AFCO. <laughs> um, but, you know, that may not necessarily be um, the key purpose to your relationship. Maybe growth is what your the purpose of your relationship is and maybe a lot of, like embracing conflict is is all part of it but i think especially those last five pillars you shared in aliveness gives a lot of um a lot of light to focus on in terms of what you could craft your purpose for your relationship around um can you just give us an example potentially what healthy relationship purpose looks like yeah so on the fridge in my kitchen my partner and i mm-hmm. have a relationship vision 
And that contains about 16 different bullet point items. And these are clear sentences that are written out in a positive we context. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, health and fitness. So one of our statements is, you know, we strive to uh, embody a, you know, a healthy relationship with ourselves. We exercise, we work out together, we take care of our bodies, we eat well. Another statement, these, these aren't verbatim, just like from my memory. Another statement yeah. would be like, you know, we, uh, we want to create, or we are, we have created, cause it's actually as if it's already happened. So we mm. have created a financially abundant lifestyle where we can pay for and purchase the things that we value and want to have. Mm. Uh, around sex, it might be, we have a positive, a sex positive household where mm. we, you know, uh, curious about one another and embrace each other's fantasies and explore and have fun. Now, these are just examples. You can create anything that you want, and to each couple, different things are going to be important. Some people have kids. Some people have pets. Some people have businesses that uh, they've co-created together. Uh, for some families, faith is really important, and uh, mm -hmm. religion is really important. So everyone's going to build this a little bit differently. But one of the key things that actually is important here, and as part of the process, and I teach this in my new course, is a vision is built off of two people's visions. So each person in the relationship needs to write out the relationship vision in the way that I described and spend a little bit of time on that. So there's more than like five or 10 points. You probably should have 20. And mm. then those visions are exchanged. Mm. And the, the, you look at your partner's vision and you go down and you check off what's similar or what's, what's the same, what you agree on. And maybe you put another question mark or bullet point on the ones that you're not clear about, or maybe you disagree, mm. what inevitably becomes the relationship vision is what you agree on. Mm. And the, the, the points of disagreement, the points of difference, uh, those need to be dialogued about, those need to be discussed. Uh, and just one example here that people get into is, you know, they feel anxious about the difference, right? This thing we talked about earlier, mm. we object to difference. We feel anxious that our partner's vision is different than ours. And look, there are some things that are clear deal breakers and non-negotiables. There are some people yeah. you meet that you're attracted to and even fall in love with that might not be a match for your future vision. And what mm -hmm. to do about that? Well, you know, it's certainly a few choices. With respect to this course and building a relationship that you love, you gotta talk about it. And I'll just share one example quickly here, which is that, my partner wants a golden retriever. She mm -hmm. dreamed of a child, a young girl dreamed of having a golden retriever. And mm -hmm. for me, oh, it's a cute dog, but I'm not drawn to it. You know, I want more of a bully breed. I want a Staffordshire yeah. Bull Terrier or, you know, a pit bull or something. And yeah. uh, she's not into that, you know, she doesn't want mm -hmm. that. And I said, okay, well, you know, it's no big deal. We're not in a rush to get a dog. And I did my mm -hmm. minimizing thing. And she said, well, no, you know, we didn't talk about this. We, you know, it makes me mm. worried that we're never going to agree on an animal. So she's doing her maximizing thing. Mm. And, uh, you know, we got actually into a little moment of tension. And after a couple of minutes, I realized, oh, wow, like I'm minimizing, you're maximizing. And uh, we're just stuck on the difference here. So I yeah. said, okay, let's, let's put this aside for, for a day. Let's come back to it. Let's, let's talk more about it. And what... Mm. This, this moment I'm describing is about, and what the core teaching here is from the relationship vision, is that couples need to be open to their difference being an opportunity for creating something new. Couples need to be open that their difference is actually potentially a gateway to something else that they hadn't even considered. And for me and my partner, that was different breeds that we didn't know existed. That was different mm. dogs that we weren't aware of that we even liked. And we started watching some dog training videos on Disney Plus, encountering these different breeds and different aesthetics and different personalities and thought, oh, mm. oh, this is an option. I never thought of that. Mm. Uh, and this happens with work, lifestyle, what city should we live in, how many kids should mm. we have, how many cars should we get. Uh, whatever the conversation is, there's usually a creative potential that could be even better than what you were focused on. And uh, that's part of this uh, you know, creative experiment of designing the vision. Sorry, I smile only because I love that <laughs> example. I uh, I also always wanted a little English staffy, um, and my wife wanted a sausage dog, and we ended up with a Japanese Spitz, <laughs> which was a very happy medium between the two. So I totally get what you're talking about there, um, man. 
Nick, it has been such a pleasure to have you here today. Like I said, um, the course sounds wonderfully robust, especially those five pillars on both sides, you know, safety and aliveness. And, you know, I think my own personal question that you answered for me there about, you know, parenting, I think it's like focusing on the aliveness of things that are really alive. So that was really helpful for me as well, but obviously totally honoring how important safety really is in relationships as well. Brother, so much respect and love for the work that you do. And thank you so much for being here to share it with us today. However, I also know it's not just today's conversation. It's like a lifetimes of work that you've put into you know, being able to share this so robustly with us here today. So just honouring and acknowledging you um, for all of that and being so vulnerable and open with us here today. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Emery. It's great to be here. I love the work you're doing and appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, such a pleasure. And Inspired Evolution tribe and audience, thank you guys so much, as always, for being part of this. It wouldn't be what it is without you, brothers and sisters. So much love from Nick and myself. Stay inspired. Keep evolving. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 